Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I like how it takes all of like two days of sunshine for Evan to show up on this podcast with his forehead bright red and burnt. That was all from two hours today. (laughs) Sitting on a patio with no sunscreen in just direct sunlight. It's my fault. I didn't wear a hat either. You didn't wear a hat. You're always wearing a hat. Yeah, you know, I had a shower today, so I figured, you know, I'll just let the hair, hair do its thing. Your skin is like uh, wait, like thin, thin, thin. Like I don't know. I'm trying to think of an analogy here. Like rice paper, it just cracks and burns the moment it sees sunlight. Oh yeah, you know, it's just getting prepared. It's it's the preseason for golf. Really, <laughs> my skin's just getting warmed up, getting used to the sun again. Well, well in we'll, golf season, we'll your, for, your forehead never sees the sun. Oh, I'm just talking about the whole organism itself. Oh, before. Evan starts going into <laughs> golf organisms. Um, this is something that's tip of my tongue, and I don't want to let it get away from me. Brad, are you familiar with Rutger McGrordy? Yeah, the twenty twenty two prospect, I believe, or no, twenty twenty three. I can't remember, but yeah, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty two. Yeah, that is a top tier hockey name, Rutger McGrordy. Yeah, that's, that's- incredible. That is the best hockey. Is has there been a better hockey name? It's it's up there. It would make it pretty far in those brackets. If you told me, like, if you pasted that into that list that we revisit from time to time of like, Bob's that, and uh, Nut. yeah, <laughs> the <that laughs> Japanese list of what they think you North American athletes' names are with just those fake names, I would have thought that that was from that Rutger McRory, Bobson Dugnut. There's right so, up, oh man, it's right up there with Zarly Zalapsky. Zarly Zalapsky. Wait, that's a real one. Yeah, he played for the Flames. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a real one. That's not one of those uh, Japanese video game knockoffs. <laughs> Charlie Zalapsky played a long time in the NHL. I, for a long time, I kept making the mistake of assuming former Red Wings prospect Lane Zablocki was a goalie because that just made sense in my head. No, he I was really upset. He should have been a Darren Helm type two-way top-end penalty killer because Lane Zablocki, yeah. it would have been perfect. But he was more an offensive guy who flamed out in a hurry. So, anyways, uh, depending on what happens in 2022, hopefully we're talking about one Shane Wright or a Lambert or a Savoy. But if uh, the Red Wings are joined by a Rutger McRory, we'll at least have fun with it. Oh yeah, that's he'll have record jersey sales. Absolutely, first player in the uh, history of the Red Wings to voluntarily have his first and last name on the back of the jersey. <laughs> They'll sell three versions of the jersey: one with just the first name, one with just the last, and one with both. <laughs> Would you just get a big arch of Rutger McGrory across the back? Or would you get Rutger on the top and then McGrory below the numbers? No, you got. You have to get the arch just because it's so obnoxious when you see that. Like okay. the longest name in the world, yeah. I'm those stupid novelty jerseys. Yeah. Uh, and with that, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast here to talk Red Wings hockey, believe it or not. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm a big Rutger McGrory fan, Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. And I'm Evan. Evan. Uh, there's plenty to talk about on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. The Red Wings played a couple games, one of which you might have already forgotten. Um, unfortunate news regarding uh, injury to Jonathan Bernier uh, and how that affects the Red Wings uh, trade deadline plans, as well as a, a hypothetical trade that's been circling around courtesy of Craig Cousins' article on The Athletic. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, and then we'll uh, 
we'll do some midseason awards. We've passed the midseason threshold a little earlier this year than a typical season by product of the 56 game season. So we'll take a look and, and discuss the midseason awards and uh, head into overtime. See what happens between now and then. Um, <clears throat> but before we do all that, I did want to take a second here um, to uh, acknowledge the passing of Russian hockey player Timur uh, Faizuddinov. Um, really, really tragic incident took a puck to the head on what looked like an innocuous play just to dump into the zone, hit him in the side of the head on March 12th. And four days later, uh, he passed away on March 16th. Um, he was captain of the Dynamo St. Petersburg team in the MHL, which is the league below the KHL in Russia. So um, the entire hockey community is is mourning teamers uh, passing. And you can see that a lot with the Russian NHL players often wearing the uh, 77 sticker on their helmets. So, um, yeah, really, really terrible whenever this kind of thing happens in hockey. The whole community feels it. So just want to take an opportunity to recognize that. Okay, the Red Wings. Um, a couple of games since we last talked. Let, let's first cover this previous game last night. And I feel like this is a trend where there's one game that's notable and one that's just like, ugh. The game last night happening during March Madness Kudobin saw 21 shots. He stopped all of them. That should tell you all you need to know about the game. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wings Twitter was dead. Shit posting was way down. Nothing happened to the game. I think Dallas scored a couple at some point, maybe even three. Couldn't, could not describe a single goal to you, even though I watched that game in its entirety. Um, that's, yeah, that's all I got. Shalosky played and he was fine. That's I have a question for you guys. If COVID didn't exist and we're just a normal season, how full do you think the arena would be right now? 75%. Wow. Oh, that's a bit. I, I would honestly put it between 60 and 70 at best. Well, are we talking tickets sold or actually bought? Well, I guess like 50% of a 20,000 person stadium only having 10,000 seats filled is really bad. Like that would be really bad. Like I think Evan's talking butts and seats because there's always ways to fudge the ticket sales. Yeah, they're fifteen thousand. Like you got to think about that. Five thousand less people is, a, is significant. Yeah the the problem it's a catch twenty two. So if we're going on the assumption the pandemic never happened, yeah, like that's a big caveat, right? If it never happened, I think they're probably looking at twelve, thirteen a game. Realistically, if we're talking about pandemic. And it was handled properly and we're back to normal life. Now, I think it'd be closer to full just because everybody needs the hell out of the house to do anything right now. So they'd still be latching on to that. Oh, thank God, people. <laughs> part How of many it, games but, would we have gone to if the border was open? Oh, oh God. Too many. I just itching to go. I would have went to at least three or four in the first month. Our plan was to do a bunch. Like, I remember us talking like, all right, we're really going to ramp it back up because we had to slow down for a little while. Like, there's a lot of big changes in our like, I don't know. Like I moved three times, I think. Like I don't know. Evan went on the the, the junior tour or something like that. I, I can't even remember. Brad kept having kids, but we said, "All right, this year we we're a little bit more settled. We we're a little bit more prepared. We're going to be going to a lot more games. We had plans in place with like uh, uh, vendors and venues and stuff to be doing this throughout the season, and then boom, all gone, all gone. Yeah, Yay. yeah. I don't know. I was just curious. I was thinking about that lately. 
it's uh it's funny you bring that up evan because that's like it's not a silver lining i don't want to call it a silver lining because it sucks that no one can go to games right now or very few people can go to games um but not having to think about how few red wings fans were showing up at games is a small mercy i'm sure for the team and the fans we did not need to hear more and more about how you know no one was at those games like yeah bro the team sucks of course not uh and that's the kind of game we got on Saturday night. The the high, two highlights were Chalosky was called up. He actually played. And uh, Mark Stahl picked up the puck on the boards, had a nice little body de- or body fake out to, to, you know, activate on the boards and get the defender off of him. Made a nice move and got a shot on net. Literally a Mark Stahl shot on net was the highlight of the game for the Red Wings. Uh, Zadina hitting the post on that empty net was pretty fun. And getting robbed by Kudobin on that power play chance was kind of fun. Uh, in the sense that those were the only two scoring chances outside of the Mark Stahl chance. <laughs> Did he hit the post? I thought he just missed the net completely. If it grazed the post, it didn't. It was so damn close. I don't think it really matters either way. He was on a bad angle and he had more time than he realized. But yeah, that was yeah. that poor Clutch guy. Is, stick a bit. He has inherited the Matthias Brome curse, it seems. <laughs> His shooting it's, percentage think- is like four. He should have almost triple the amount of goals he has this season based on his career averages. Yeah. The, the confidence for him, I don't want to say like it's his fault, but a lot of it is like, you know, you can see he has more time. So there's more that he can be doing to make his own luck, but yeah, it's just take that second breathe. And it's almost like, look, kid, we know that you want to score and don't feel like you have to be proving every single game that you're this player because the team and the fans know the kind of player Zadina is so it's just about understanding that production is going to be lower than what he'd want it to be right now because team support isn't as high that's a fancy way of saying the team's not good right now um just take your time take your time let it come to you find that confidence however you have to find it and just play your game you know it is funny to think about for a guy who's struggling with um not composure, but just kind of rushing the plays, squeezing the stick a bit. He said he is third on the team in assists, so he is still finding the plays <laughs> when they're there. <laughs> they're, uh, they're literally – he's doing everything right. The puck's just not going in the net for him. And uh, would, when the floodgates open, I, I still got a feeling either this season or next, he's going to have like a 10, 15-game run of just dominance. Just as everything regresses to the means, he's going to be firing it from the red line. It's going to be two hop in the goalie and going in. <laughs> That's the the Red Wings are feast or famine this year. More famine than feast, but it's definitely feast or famine. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, the game prior, uh, a Red Wings win, Robbie Fabry hat trick. Um, looked like it looked like a great game overall, except for the fact that Bernier got hurt, ended up leaving with a soft tissue injury, and he's considered. I get it. Like, I'm not too worked up about why there's confidentiality about the injuries. That's been a part of hockey for for forever. Um, this Bertuzzi thing is weird where he played half a game but left. And you don't really know whether it was something that was nagging him or something that happened in that half a game or the game before, whatever it is, like if something got worse. But we went from we don't know when Bertuzzi to, will return to he's several weeks away. Like We're not close to having Bertuzzi back, which is terrible for the team and Bertuzzi and the team. Um and then just to hear the same thing with Bernier, where it's like, yeah, soft tissue injury. He's classified as day-to-day, but we literally have no idea when he'll be back. Could be tomorrow, could be three weeks from now. And I'm like, just like, God, please. 
with Bernier, it makes a little more sense to be a little more vague because um, we are within striking distance of the trade deadline. And I feel like Bernier is going to be way more in play with that than um, Bertuzzi will be. So the timeline on Bertuzzi, yeah, it sucks, but it doesn't really matter. It's a lost season and he's not going to be a major trade piece in all likelihood. Uh, Bernie's timeline matters a lot because if he's still hurt creeping up to the trade deadline, he becomes a non-asset. He will not be traded because no team is going to be trading for a goalie in which they don't know what they're getting. So yeah, it sucks, but I at least understand them playing coy with him because they don't want to scare other teams. Yeah. And we'll get more into Bernie and how that affects the trade deadline in a second. I do want to recognize the game Robbie Fabry had here. And this is coming at the risk of knowing what this will do in terms of jinxes and look, because our previous episode, we talked about Bernier and look how that ended up. So sorry, sorry, Um, Robbie. Yeah. Robbie Fabry, like it's not news and it's not a novel thought. And we've had probably 45 episodes titled after Robbie Fabry at this point, but just what a great solid acquisition that was. And what a great solid player he's been. He's, even when the Red Wings are super down, he's always most of the time there at least putting something into the game where you're like, hey, there's Robbie Fabry at least doing his best or he's pulls a performance out of nowhere or he's just playing a solid, consistent game where he's he's utilizing his talents. And for a team that has a lot of talent, like talent buried in pockets where like players aren't necessarily playing to their full potential, it's so refreshing to have more or less a consistent output from a guy like him. That hat trick was so good because it wasn't necessarily that he created it all. Like a lot of it came through, you know, an assist from Larkin or a good rebound or that kind of thing. And it just, he deserved to have that game come together for him. And that feeds into my bigger point. There was a lot of, um, a lot of strong feelings from the fan base in this podcast and me specifically at the start of the season where it's like, this team is not playing a game right now. That's acceptable in my mind. I don't want them or I don't expect them to be, you know, middle of the standings or a playoff team or anything stupid like that. No, the team's not good enough for that. But I expected them to be playing better. I want them to be, you know, utilizing their skill and trying new things and, and you know, at least having random performances where players shine or you can draw some uh, some strong uh, uh, silver linings or, or wins away. And that's the, that's the hockey they're playing right now. And I think they deserve a lot of credit. And I think Jeff Blaschel deserves credit. And I think it's just, it's a nice change of pace. Are games like last night terrible to watch? Yeah, absolutely. But you have to expect those when the team is this bad. Are games like last Thursday against Dallas worth it in my mind? Yeah, that's the kind of hockey that I want to see the Red Wings play this year. That's what I expect. So I just wanted to, to recognize that. Yeah, they're, they're still Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is yeah. a Vast improvement over last season. I think if you had given us the option of what's happening now in the middle of last season, we would have jumped all over it. So even though we're going to nitpick everything, because that's literally the point of this podcast, um, it is good. There's still a lot of fundamental flaws with how the Red Wings play, but the overall concept seems to be either better executed by Blashill in terms of getting it across to the players or... There's more buy-in from the players. One of the, I don't know which came first, but one of them's happening because when the Red Wings are on, they do look like a competent NHL team, which is not something we could say at any point last season. Uh, obviously, the acquisitions helped having John Merrill and Troy Stetcher are 
it's huge. And Bernier still has to save their ass more often than he doesn't. But they're keeping up and they're even outplaying some teams and they're even outplaying some good teams. You're obviously we're going to get many games like last night where they just do nothing of value because they lack talent pretty severely. So if Zadina or Larkin aren't at their absolute peak any given night, there's going to be a lot of games like that and nobody is at their absolute peak every night. So it's absolutely to be expected. But circling back to Robbie Fabry, one thing I think we have to eat crow on is after last season, we were all very excited with what we saw from Fabry because he was playing at just over a 50 point pace. And we're like, yeah, that's incredible. Like if he can settle in as like a half a point per game player, that's incredible value. And he'll be super usable going forward. But we all figured that, yeah, last year's pace, new team, a lot of adrenaline and, and a lot to prove that's probably not sustainable. And over the course of his career, he's kind of not been that player. He's at a 53 point pace right now. So here he is shutting us right the hell up. Now, the catch-22 in all of this is he's getting a lot of ice time because there aren't a lot of options to put in his place. And if the Red Wings were a good team, would he be playing, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 minutes a night? Probably not. He might. Um, But so he's a guy when the Red Wings get good. I don't expect him to progress in terms of uh, counting stats, but... Uh, we might see a slight dip, but I'm, I'm at that point. I don't think it's going to be that significant, even if it does happen, which is again, they got him for, uh, sorry to the one Della Rose stand. They got him for based <laughs> almost literally nothing. So that, that, ter- if you took the accumulation of Steve Eisenman's trades last year for Ernie and Perlini and all that and just threw them into the Robbie Fabry trade, it's still a good trade. So it worked out very nicely. Yeah, if Robbie Fabry is a guy who has to play more minutes because there's no other options, like, man, that is a million times better than the situation the Red Wings have been in over the past few years. And I'm going to get a little bit tinfoil hat here. Not tinfoil hat, but just like I'm going to get way too too far ahead of myself. The Red Wings have a glut of talented wingers both in their system now and you know maybe coming up and they have holes to fill on defense and uh down the middle at the center position if you have to move a high-end piece like let's say mantha and you have robbie fabry to step up and fill in that role until you get like a lucas raymond ready to play that is a just that's a really good position to be in no one's expecting fabry to be a, a heart trophy nominee but by all by all means, this is way better than having to have Helmer Glendening step up. Anyways, that's the happy stuff. Jonathan Bernier injured in a collision um, on a break from the uh, Dallas Stars. Soft tissue injury. Waiting on updates for him. Hopefully, he's back sooner than later. How does this affect the trade market? We saw Colorado trade for um, was it Johansson from Buffalo. Is that his yep. name? Yep, who John Vogel referred to as, I think it was John Vogel, the worst goaltender he's ever seen in his 20 years covering the Sabres. So desperate times in Colorado, I guess. I mean, (laughs) Philip Grubauer, thank God he's my fantasy goalie, though. He's been on fire lately. He's been nuts. His last five games, I think he's led it. What's his save percentage, like 970 or something? It's insane. It's crazy. (laughs) But... I really was expecting more chatter around Bernie than any other goalie this year. And this is just such a Mike Green, 
you know, cracking a vertebrae two weeks before he was supposed to go for maybe a first round pick situation. It's just so annoying and it's just so Detroit for this to happen. Um, I hope it's something he can come back from soon because I genuinely believe Leafs fans are at the point where they're going to start putting up billboards to bring him back. Like I've seen that chatter really heat up. Um, he's one of those prominent pieces where it's not even where Red Wings fans are saying like, Hey, this guy should be a target for you. Like it's the national writers. It is the Freedmans of the world. They are bringing up Bernier hit the stories out that he's good and he's overperforming on a bad team. So not that I want to see him gone necessarily. I've said to people before, if Detroit ends up retaining Bernier and, and extends him, I'll be just as happy as it would be with the second round pick, or whatever they'd get. But I'd at least like the opportunity to see what Eisman can do at the trade deadline. The only bad outcome here is Bernier walks in free agency at the end of this year. Oh, that's not, please. That's, that's the only bad outcome. So if they can avoid that, we're happy. We're very happy. I would imagine Eisenman and the team there would have a sense of what Bernie wanted to do in free agency. For, Bernie seemed like it's a good relationship between him and the team. He'd give them some indication. He wouldn't just burn them by saying, you know, nothing one way or the other, or I'm going to stay and then leave. He's not going to John Tavares them. He's probably he's probably just watching Grace and going, man, am I going to get paid? <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, you get I that mean, starter money. <laughs> $10 million dollars for seven years. <laughs> Look, no, I'm kidding. $10 million for one year, just kind of as a we're sorry for the last couple. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, usually, you know, you pay players for, you know, winning cups and like, you know, you eat that contract later in the year. We're just doing this because we feel bad. Have him uh, do that, pay him the 10 by 7, and it'll be a terrible contract, of course. But then, just by the laws of, of hockey and, and prospects, they'll get a Spencer Knight quality player um, in the next draft. So that's just that is also good. true. Ryan yeah, just confirmed a... we're drafting Wallstead. Thanks, Ryan. You know what? More and more, as I look at where Detroit's going to be within the draft lottery, I think it's a re- very real possibility. We joked about Askarov. Uh, we're going to have a lot of conversations about Wallstead in the near future. Um, so I guess the conversation on Bernier is we don't know until he's back. If this is a short-term thing, like another week or two, it'll be fine. If we're reaching April 12th and he's still gone, then it's pretty much off the table. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, Craig Custance said the athletic does a cool piece every year, or at least maybe this is the second year in a row he's done it, um, where he takes basically trade hypothetical trade proposals from uh fans and what he does is he brings it to a couple or a few unnamed execs whether they be gms scouts assistant gms hockey men tm um and he asks them their opinion on it and mantha being one of the premier trade pieces on the market this year uh was the subject of a lot of the trade proposals and i want to talk about one in specific because i think it's the one that one of the few that got a uh an approval from one of the, the anonymous execs. And this was from user 39 Alaska 39. And it was to send uh, Mantha to the Hurricanes for defenseman Jake Bean, a 2021 first and a 2022 conditional third. And I want to get your takes on it because I know people will be asking. So my gut reaction when I saw this was interesting that's not too far off what i said an episode or two ago what the ask for mantha would be you know good prospect 
first round pick and a sweetener. Unfortunately, it falls right into the trap of what I kind of outlined there, which is it's a B-level prospect. Carolina's a president's trophy candidate right now, so it's a late first round pick. And then a conditional third is a 10% chance that that guy ever plays for your team. So weighing that up against what Anthony Mantha is. So Anthony Mantha's got a good contract under great value, which if the Red Wings want to be playoff contenders, and I'm now talking after this season in two to three years, Mantha will be a part of that. And he'll be doing that at a very good contract. That's not even assuming he resigns or anything like that. Just the three years he'll have left on his contract. That first round pick is good, but that first round pick is going to be very close to Detroit's second round pick for context. This all comes down to what you think about Jake Bean. And he's turning 23 this year. This is his first year in the NHL. He is a half a point per game as a left shot defenseman, which is attractive. Uh, He's doing it on a much better team than Detroit. I like him. I don't think he's anything special. I think Jake Bean is just slightly better Dennis Cholosky. Same profile in terms of player handedness, yada, yada, yada. Uh, my my gut reaction the first time I saw this trade was yes, take it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I leaned towards that. I, I think Manta will be more valuable even in the short term than what ultimately we'll get from Jake Bean. Okay. I'm not even sure I necessarily disagree with you here, but I do want to pick at the Jake Bean point because – The reality is for the Red Wings to acquire a good defenseman on the left side via trade, there's got to be risk, right? And I think it's the same amount of risk that Carolina is taking because they're bringing in a guy where it's like, here's someone with oodles of talent, just he's bursting at the seams with talent, but any given game, he accesses 10% or 40% or 5% or 80% of it. It's it's kind of a crapshoot. So, you know, we're very guilty of talking about Mantha's uh, uh, trade value probably far too high. If the Red Wings are going to acquire a good left side defenseman via trade, there has to be risk and you have to kind of take an unknown, right? With Jake Bean. I'm not making this comparison one for one. I don't think Jake Bean is Victor Hedman. Please do not take that notion from this. But do you remember when Victor Hedman was in his first few years and he was struggling because he was a young defenseman and young defensemen struggle in the modern NHL and he was on the trade block and we were banging on our fists on the table for to for the Detroit to trade for him. Um nobody traded for him. Nobody wanted to take pay the price. I think it was a first round pick plus something else. Imagine getting Victor Hedman now for a verse first round pick and a prospect. This is a guy who's going to be a Norris trophy candidate in, in a couple minutes here when we talk about midseason awards. That's not what's going to happen with Jake Bean, but the overall lesson of if you want to hit one out of the park, you have to take the risk. I don't know if I necessarily apply that in this Mantha scenario, but I'm just saying I think it might be a little bit reductionist to call Jake Bean a slightly better Dennis Cholosky. This is me just throwing my scouting hat on and taking context of the trade and everything out of it. What do I see when I see Jake Bean? There is not a lot of fundamental differences between him and Cholosky. Good offensively, but not anything you would classify as elite. Um, they have their questions defensively. I think Jake Bean is more refined in that category. So hence why I say he's better. Slightly better Dennis Cholosky. I'm not saying it's an equal comparison. 
But if you believe the Red Wings can get Jake Bean and turn him into the player that everybody thought Jake Bean was when they drafted him, the Red Wings can do that with Dennis Chalowski. Not to the same extent, not saying that, but am I giving up Anthony Mantha to get a slight upgrade there? No, I'm probably not. Even just from a standpoint, I think there'll be a better, there's probably a better trade out there than that. Again, if I was getting this exact same offer from Montreal, I'm taking it because I their pick will be 10 to 15 spots higher than Carolina's in all likelihood. And again, in the first round of a draft, those spots make a big difference. I'll use last year as the example again. That's the difference between Ozzy Weisblatt and someone like Seth Jarvis or Rodion Amirov. It's night and day. They are not even in the same tier of prospect. So given that Carolina is in the president's trophy race right now, it, it you have to factor that in because Jake Bean is now the prize of this trade, not the first round pick. Whereas again, if it were Montreal or, you know, pick whatever fringe playoff team you want here, Philly, hypothetically, now the first round pick is the the jewel of that trade and Jake Bean is the one of the sweeteners. So context matters on stuff like this. This is about the package I would expect to get for Anthony Mantha. So I think in terms of value it is very much in the ballpark. Just out of all the prospects Carolina has would I pick Jake Bean? He's probably not the guy I'm picking. They have a bunch of other guys that I think I would grab ahead of him, but you know, it's very much in the in the right on the right path. Evan, what's your take? Yeah, my I I would do the trade if I was Detroit, but my only real concern is who. What do you do when you replace one of your top goal scorers? Even though you know he's not scoring goals at the pace that fans and perhaps members of the team would like, but. You kind of get into a scenario where you're defense heavy and you you rely on two or three guys to score your goals. Like that's pretty easy to game plan against. Like you don't have a lot of threats up front. So for this year, I see that as a big problem. But when you've got the likes of a Joseph Valeno, a uh, Jonathan Bergeron, or um, a Lucas Raymond coming da- uh, down the pipeline, I think it gets a little less worrisome year after year. And let's be honest, Detroit's defense, it's it definitely needs some improvements. So, you know, I don't unless like Caroline is in a win win now mode. So there's potential to squeeze something more out of it. But if I'm Detroit, you know, you get a little bit younger, you get a first round pick and you can pick a player you want to make another swing. Like yeah, it's it's a tough trade to make because I just don't know. Unless someone drastically overpays, I don't know if we'll ever feel like the the wings really win the trade. You know what I mean? And the catch twenty two is you have to factor in this is Jake Bean is going to the Red Wings, and if you look at the Red Wings right now, Dennis Chalosky, Albert Johansson, um, Jared McIsaac, Emil Vero, Donovan Sabrango. They're not hurting for left shot prospects right now. All of them, except for McIsaac, I would argue at this point, have outperformed their draft slot. They're All hurting of them, for first pairing left shot. I, I got maybe I, one first pair left shot guy. You know, you know who's not a first pair left shot? Jake Bean. 
He would be on these Red Wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair point. But no, he's Jake Bean's not like, I don't, again, I don't see a dramatic, I think if all goes right, the path Albert Johansson is on, he's going to be better than Jake Bean based what we've seen from him since his draft spot from what we've seen from Jake Bean at the same point after he was drafted. So it's, it's tough. And, and getting back to Evan's point, and he's right. We have a ton of reasons to be excited about Jonathan Bergeron, uh, Lucas Raymond, Joe Valeno. That's about it for forwards that we have legit Lucas reason Raymond, to. Jeez. I said Lucas Raymond. Mm-mm. Didn't I? Mm-hmm. Bergeron, Raymond, Valeno. Doesn't matter. Raymond. Yeah. Those three give us legit reasons to be excited for possible top six forwards, even though Valeno's a center. Master Simone's good. We hope he's going to pan out. Niederbach looks pretty good. Chance we could he could pan out. I don't think we're banking on any of these guys, though, other than the three that I mentioned. So the Red Wings right now have a glut of defensive prospects, which is such a welcome, welcome thing to say after what we went through the last few years. But they are still thin at forward on the current roster and in the prospect system. So... If you took a Jake Bean level forward and put this into this trade, I'd be more inclined to take it, which is completely backwards of what we've had to worry about for the last I God, forever. Was that? I, I honestly, like, I, I respect your opinion, but your face bothers me and I can't disagree more. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm I trying mean, to get a reaction out of that. I think the Jake, I think Jake Bean becomes available available because you look at Carolina's defense. Yeah. Like, they have... He's such an, a, I hate to say spare part, but when you look at their decor, he is relative to all the other players that they have. Like, that's why I think that sort of trade came to fruition. Oh, for, from Carolina's standpoint, this absolutely makes the most sense for them. They don't want to give up a Noel Gundler or, a, you know, Pitt Morgan Geeky or pick any of their other really good, uh, even Ryan Suzuki. Obviously, they don't want to give those guys up because they're a team that has struggled to find forwards. They have got the world of defense. They waved at Jake Gardner. <laughs> He'd be a top pairing guy in Detroit right now. So, um, yeah, so I, I would understand that Jake Bean is the prime prospect for them to move, but I don't think he's the prime prospect for the Red Wings to acquire. Just to tie off a couple things here, in all seriousness, to finish my point, Brad, the reason I disagree is that because what's one thing we struggle with when we talk about Anthony Mantha? It's his perceived value versus, you know, his true value. And we probably have, you know, rose-colored lenses when we talk about Anthony Mantha a little bit too often. And for me, it's really easy to kind of dissociate or let go of that what if or what Anthony Mantha could have been if we're translating that value to a different position. Because I see Jake Bean as... This is a very rough equivalency, and I'm going to hate myself for all these comparisons these episode. But that's like a Robbie Fabry level forward you're bringing in, maybe. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe when when so Robbie Fabry's the peak, but when Robbie Fabry's the peak, you're banking a hell of a lot on that pick twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. Because again, we can we we always talk about Mantha's perceived value, which is fair because we've been waiting for that step, and currently he is playing. The worst hockey we have seen him play in his entire career, going back to his 10-game stint in his first season, he's still at over a 20-goal pace, and that is extremely hard to find in the NHL. So even at Mantha's current value, it's still a tough trade to 
justify a Jake Bean per se, just because. Within, yeah, but within, like, like, let's say it's a Robbie Fabry level player. I think we could use another one of those on defense, and we don't necessarily need to be moving Mantha for another one on at forward. And that's that's my thing where you said you'd rather bring in a forward, and for me, it's like, yeah, because here's where I ultimately fall in this trade. I think Evan is completely right. I think Evan's analysis was spot on. And which is, you know, once every other episode, he does it. He talks for 30 seconds. He makes us look dumb, Brad. But I, I think in the end, your point, Brad, is a good encapsulation of it. It's within range. It's within acceptable value. If you remember the Athanasiu trade, there was a range of opinions. I thought not really what I wanted, but this is acceptable. And some people are like, I really don't think this is enough, but this is like just on either side of the line. I think the, this hypothetical Jake being trade comes in the middle what i would do is wait another season because i think i genuinely still believe mantha could be better but i think this would be a fine deal anyways i, I just kind of want to it'd to be all right on it. and then we can also get into our philosophy because i'm i think the way the nhl is now forwards are more impactful on overall outcome of the game look at the penguins they won a cup with brian dumoulin as their number one defenseman so you get hey whoa 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 let's not slander the good name of brian dumoulin you you get a ton of impactful forwards and put together a really good system defensively you can mask that but you can't do it vice versa because again to praise blashell he's put in a really good defensive system on this team and they have treaded water defensively not that it would be a cup caliber defense like that pittsburgh put together but you can do it with a patchwork defense. You, But what have the Red Wings struggled above all else this year? Scoring goals. You can't pull that natural offensive talent out of thin air. It, you can't manufacture talent like you can manufacture defense. You can't manufacture goals like you can manufacture a penalty kill, hypothetically. So, the Red, to me, the most impactful position on the ice is the position the Red Wings are lacking the most right now. So... Yeah, Jake Bean's fine, but again, if we're talking about Noel Gundler here or one of Carol or Ryan Suzuki, I'm probably more inclined to accept this trade, even though they're about on par for value with Jake Bean. Yeah, if Carolina was looking for a goal scorer, I'm sure they'd look within first before making a trade. One point before we we pivot here to the awards. Uh, Evan made a really good point, and it's one that I think should be reiterated more often to the fans. Which <laughs> oh boy, louder um, for the people in the back, please. Yeah, <laughs> it's usually you. You're usually the people in the back. That's the issue. Um, Evan talked about when you reduce the amount of scoring threats on a team, it not only hurts the team in a basic way, which is you're taking goals off. It's so much easier to game plan against them, unless you're Connor McDavid. Unless you're Connor, unless you're a game-breaking player. When we talk about game-breaking, we mean it, it doesn't matter what the other team does against you. Their best weapon is hope. <laughs> yeah. um, and the Red Wings don't have a player that even comes close no. to fitting that bill right now. No. And so, yeah, Dil, the Red Wings might score X, you know, 23 fewer goals if they got rid of Mantha right now. But then you probably have to take another, what, five goals, nine points, or four goals, nine points off Larkin's total. Because... And that's a very arbitrary number because teams now can say, all right, we're going to commit to playing a, a, a guy deep because we know Larkin's going to try to blow past all of us. Or we're going to play aggressively to the left side on the penalty kill to stop Zadina from firing the puck in. Like you really hurt the other talent on your team when you remove weapons and, and, and you don't have that talent spread out. And for people who are depressed about the Red Wings output right now, when they get better players, 
a rising tide floats all boats. And that's the, the, the gist of the story. So that was, I thought, a very prudent point for Evan to bring up and something that I think we even lose sight of. <laughs> I'm laughing for people who are, are, are listening and not on YouTube. I'm laughing because of the faces Evan's making. Um, okay. Before we jump into anything else, oh. before we jump into our midseason talk. Yeah, you're not going to mention the other Anthony Mantha trade, that one of the other Mantha trades that I literally proposed two episodes ago. No, we're going to save it for a future episode. Uh, I don't remember it, so. And one of the execs okay. said, like, not now because of the money, but maybe. And I was like, oh, oh, yes. Sign for me up Caulfield. for this. Mantha for Caulfield. I don't think Montreal does it. I, I just don't. Uh, I, Mantha I, scoring better. Okay. Mantha playing better, maybe, yes. but Okay, so I would say Montreal is crazy if they make that trade. Because my argument against myself was, why would Montreal trade a guy who's going to do what Mantha does, but is like six years younger? But we're forgetting two things. One, they want to win now, and Caulfield's going to do nothing to help them this year. And two... Mark Bergevin is fighting for his job this year. He knows if Montreal doesn't make some kind of run, he's gone. So he doesn't give a shit what Cole Caulfield's going to do for them three, four years from now. Because if they don't do something this year, he's not going to be here to see it. So if Mantha can help them right now, that's appealing to him. Now, obviously, Montreal's right up against the cap. So they would have to work the money. Like Detroit would have to bring back a bad contract like a Paul Byron or somebody something they have to take money back so it's not as simple a trade as mantha for caulfield because it's literally not possible but uh it could work and even if detroit retains a mill or two on that montreal gets an absolute bargain on anthony mantha yeah that's that's worth a cole caulfield but it's it's uh making a trade in a salary cap world it's never just black and white um evan i'm gonna rip on brad you might want to be here for this uh no i'm kidding but maybe not so we had the we had the conversations last episode where we we just got out of hand we we're well into wacky territory and we were doing that thing where we shouldn't have done which is we we're doing hypoth trade hypotheticals i mean and we could do trade hypotheticals or we could talk about yesterday's game what would you rather do right now <laughs> brad's uh brad's eichel trade um brad brad put out a couple eichel trades and evan you and i were like aggressively like god no and I was surprised because when I was doing that thing I shouldn't do, which is reading the comments, the opinions were actually split. Some people were like agreeing with me and you, Evan, where they were like, oh, God, no, that like that. There's no way that trades enough. And on the other hand, people were like, oh, God, no, what the hell? That's the dumbest proposal I've ever heard. So resoundingly, you and I are right, Evan. That's that's the yeah. from this. Well, yeah, as I predicted. <laughs> Sorry, Brad, I, just, I had to take that pot shot at you. And I'm not going to let you respond because I'm going to jump into the it's fact okay. that <laughs> it's OK. You have to read the comments. That's your punishment enough. <laughs> it is. It is. This is you, a, you know why is, those comments didn't bother me? I didn't read them. This is a heavy um, people aren't going to know that I'm kidding because you guys are my friends and they're going to think I'm a massive asshole episode. So for anyone <laughs> listening for the first time, yeah, he's yeah, saying that right. to cover his ass. Don't believe him. 100%. <laughs> On that note. This episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast <laughs> is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are thrilled to partner with as they give us what uh, give us fans what we really need, more excitement. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for so many reasons. It's easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. You get your money in as quick as 24 hours, and they're constantly running excellent odds boosts and special bets. Now listen to this. 
FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just bet on any game and FanDuel, FanDuel will refund you up to one grand back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. We wish we could bet on games like this upcoming series between uh, Detroit and Nashville because I think that's one where Detroit could uh, potentially keep a good streak of hockey going and you can pick up some cash. In the meantime, be sure to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. And when you sign up, use promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Or call one 800 270 in Michigan. All right, Brad, I'm sorry for what I said earlier. That was mean and uncalled for. What? Yeah, well, there's that. Um, okay, mid-season awards. We're at about the halfway point of the year, and uh, this debate has been raging in other parts of the hockey world, so I kind of wanted to see what you guys thought. Let's talk about the different uh, NHL major awards and ha- at the halfway point, who's deserving of which. Um Let's start with the Selkie. I think that's a good one to talk about because there's a lot of viable candidates this year. I would say you guys name your front runner and then maybe a, a honorable mention or two. Alex Barkov. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to, this is the award where you walk into the cliches and, and the guys who always get it, but they get it for a reason. And Barkov and his Florida Panthers are taken off and he's the biggest reason for it. And then uh, honorable mention, because you could probably throw 20 guys into this category. Let's go with Mark Stone. I want to see a winger win it. Why do I even, why do I even show up? Why do I even show up? Yeah. Well, I'm going to just say Patrice Bergeron and Anze Kopitar. Just because that's what it is every year. Because someone's going to not even watch the league this year and vote for them. That's a good call. Well, I mean, Kopitar, I think, deserves credit this year. I think he's definitely in the mix. Um, I can't see anyone going against Barkov this year. How often do we talk about him being one of the most underrated players in the league and somehow found another level this season? Uh, It's not a secret that I love Mark Stone as a player. And if I were a coach, he's the exact kind of guy I'd want on my team. I don't think Mark Stone should win it over Barkov, but I think he's kind of that perennial, what we used to think, consider for Datsuk, uh, always should be one of the candidates because of the game he plays. Um, yeah, you know, I was reading a few articles earlier today, and um, a lot of people were mentioning, mentioning uh, Joel Erickson Eck as a dark horse candidate for it surprisingly good season in minnesota and you're laughing because your first two picks got taken uh that's why i'm just gonna say patrice bergeron and kopitar (laughs) for all of my and i'll just say uh, crosby mcdavid anze kopitar and patrice bergeron for every award okay you know what we'll let this is one of the 
I was gonna say this is one of the few awards where there's actual debate for it. Like, uh, there's one or two others where there's a small debate, but this feels like the year where people are gonna galaxy brain awards where the answer is really obvious, just for the sake of getting clicks. I, I get that vibe from this season. I'm starting to get the the feel about the Selkies turning into the Norris, where it's like this guy finally deserves to win it. Like Barkov definitely should have won it before Sean Kachuri finally got his like it's because it's been Kopitar and Bergeron for so long there's been so many guys deserving of the award not to say that those two weren't deserving but there's now this backlog of guys who've earned it or whatever you want to call it um what about the Jack Adams for coach of the year ah the good old your team did better than we thought award Ralph Kruger. <laughs> See, I'm struggling with this one because a lot of people are 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 calling for Joel Quenville here. And I get that, but is Joel Quenville just coaching the Florida Panthers to what they should be? And is someone like Jeremy Colleton making more of the Chicago Blackhawks than they arguably should be? Yeah. <sighs> Patrick Kane's playing at another level, though. Uh so here's my argument for the Jack Adams. It's who's doing the most with the least. That's yeah, and that generally does tend to lead to that your team's doing way better than expected. But if you look at Florida, Alex Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau are both in the top ten of scoring. Uh, Aaron Ekblad's getting uh, Norris consideration. You but is look that at because of Joel Quenville. The argument could absolutely be made, uh, but Barkov and Huberdeau have been doing this for years. This isn't new for either of them. Um, then you look at, yeah, Patrick Haynes going at an MVP pace in Chicago, working with not a lot. You know what I don't see when I scroll through the list of the top, God, I'm still going and I'm in the thirties for scores in the league right now. I'm in the forties, not seeing anybody. There we go at 47, the first player on the Minnesota wild. So what Dean Evison is getting out of that team right now is really something. Yeah, Capo Kakinen's been a bit of a surprising goal, but it's not like he's knocking down the Vesna. Their defense is good, but nobody's talking about any of them for a Norris. I think Kaprizov we're going to talk about in another award very soon. And yeah, that's great. I think Jordan Greenway's second on their team in points. Like he what Minnesota has accomplished this season feels like nothing short of a miracle because we've been joking they're going to get stuck in the mushy middle forever. And not in a good way, but here they are in a playoff spot and hanging in pretty comfortably. I think Rod Brindamore deserves some credit here. I'm not sure that he should win over a Quenville type, um, but I think it's just worth mentioning his name. I also think Barry Trotz, like as long as the Islanders continue to perform at the level, like that is a team where I'm like, I just don't expect them to keep performing at this level, but here they are. They're they're the one team you really look at and you're like, this team has bought in like you don't have to watch many games but you just look at that team and they are all in on what barry trotz is selling a lot of people struggle to see the impact of a coach on a team i think anyone who watches the islanders knows that this is barry trotz is doing absolutely yep their leading score is tied with kareel kaprizov so you can make the exact same argument there well let's get the calder out of the way because that'll be an easy one calder for rookie of the year Kirill Kaprizov. Next. Simple enough. Yeah. Uh, other guys who should be mentioned here. Um, 
I don't know. Kevin Lankinen. That's the only other one I could think of. Yeah, like Stutzla. Yeah. Of course, they they should get recognition. This should be a runaway. This should be one of the easiest picks of the year. 23 years old, yeah, but I don't know. I'm not too bothered by that. The guy's a phenom. So fun to watch and has made Minnesota hockey exciting. And him, like that, their uh, Minnesota North Stars color scheme, wild jersey, has to be one of the best-selling jerseys in hockey right now. Or it should be if it's not. Better be. Uh, what I think is another simple award, Vesna Trophy for goalie of the year. I'm assuming that means Vasilevsky. That means that's probably Vasilevsky, right? That's my pick. Credit here to Mark Andre Fleury. Fleury's getting consideration. Vasilevsky should get consideration. Connor Hellebuck again? Yep. Yep. He'd probably be a finalist for sure. Hellebuck's doing some work, man. Let's see what how the season ends. Grubauer, if Grubauer continues, well, he won't continue yeah. at this pace. I mean, if he does, my God. But he deserve if if he continues at a better pace. Like, I guess we're thinking only of the midseason right now. So I would say he's not on my finalist list. But at the end of the year, if he's hanging around like this, absolutely, he should be in the conversation. Jonathan Bernier. <laughs> I, I want him to. get I'm one. totally. I, it, I think all of us are on board with that. Like that guy sees the highest danger shots per game out of anybody in the league. He oh. he deserves it just like that ten million dollar contract. But you're are you getting a are you his agent, Evan? Are you getting a cut? I hope so. <laughs> Cannot disclose. Um all right, the Norris trophy. Are these just a bunch of simple awards for midseason right now? Because again, Hedman is is continued his form and is playing like MVP hockey. I told you there was going to be a bunch of these. Yeah, this is Hedman. And if anybody says otherwise, you're just trying to galaxy brain it for the sake of galaxy braining it. it it's Hedman and it's not all that close right now. Jeff Petrie. Yeah, I, Second I think in Jeff the league finals. in defenseman points. What a great signing that's been for Montreal through and through. And if only Edmonton had someone like him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, we've done the Vezina. We've done the Selkie. We've done Norris Calder. We've done Jack Adams. Let's do GM of the year. Because I think that's a fun one to talk about. I mean, I hate how this award gets voted on because it's usually, you know, who does the most that season not who's built up the best and most sustainable team now this would normally be tampa bay hands down but because a lot of this team wasn't built by Brisebois, i don't really think he should be in it there but you look at a couple of the other wagons around the nhl um mccrimmon's fingerprints are all over vegas but that was built by mcphee so can we really give it to him I don't know. This is this is the interesting one to me because based on the normal criteria, this could go a lot of different ways, but this is an answer people aren't going to want to hear. But to me, it's the right answer. A team with sustained success that saw their plan through has stuck with it and it is now working. Kyle Dubas. The Leafs are one of the best teams in the league. They're on a bit of a skid right now, but that is because their goaltending went to shit. Nobody knows what the hell happened to Frederick Anderson, but they've been well, the best team in the Has Freddie been good at all for the past couple of years? Yeah. He ha- according to the well, numbers, like, he has been. Anders and- goals in and it goes in. <laughs> and nailed but, it, bro. But other than 
Anderson putting up a routine 800 save percentage over the last two weeks. Let's not forget a team that absolutely struggled for defense for a while, managed to shut down Connor McDavid for an entire week. They've managed to shut out Calgary recently, and they're not a terrible team. They've they've run through this division outside of this little 10-day blip they've had, which when you look at the underlying metrics of those 10 days, it's almost entirely goaltending that's screwing them over. And we've all said goaltending's voodoo. This is going to happen to every team at some point this year. I mean, Toronto looks good now. They look good for the future. They look good. Uh, they, they not look good, but they manage the salary cap really well by staying right up against it, but continuously making it work, adding talent. Like, I don't know, man. Kyle Dubas has done exactly what he said he was going to do with Toronto, and he's done it well. If Toronto either fizzles out or gets bounced early in the season because they didn't solve their goaltending problem, then I can't in all, in all good conscience say that he's deserving of the award i agree with you that the award is flawed because i think a gm's effect is rolled over like i don't know five years and it varies so it's hard to award it in such a transient way i agree that he's done a phenomenal job and people just don't want to recognize that but hey that's the pressure of working with toronto um does don what sorry you want to reply to that no, well, no, I was going to throw in, I have one other candidate that I think is just as deserving, but I'll let you get to yours first. I have two guys in mind, and I think the second one might be yours, Brad, so I'll, I'll save it. But does Don Waddell deserve credit for Carolina? Oh, absolutely. He He's had behind the scenes a lot of shit to deal with, and he has built yeah. a very good team. Uh, he hasn't addressed the goaltending issue yet. Um, which is still Carolina's big question mark. I mean, say what you will about Freddie Anderson, but uh, Dubas went out and acquired Jack Campbell, and he's been great in th- his stint with Toronto, at least the point where he's not been injured. So I would like to see Waddell be a little more aggressive with the goalie rather than just parading Mrazek and Reimer out over and over again. Obviously, Nedeljkovic has been a bit of a lifesaver this year. He's had a, a phenomenal uh, run in Mrazic's injury. So, hey, sometimes you just get lucky. But yeah, he's absolutely deserving because he's had more background turmoil than any of the other GMs who are going to be in this conversation. He had the balls to bring in David Ayers. He deserves yeah. uh, Was your second or the, the other GM you're going to name Kevin Shovel Day off? Nope. Oh, huh. well, go ahead. No, mine's going to be far more obvious when, when I say it. Joe Sackick. Joe Sackick. I mean, Colorado's a Colorado's legitimately a wagon, um, and they are set up with a ton of cap space, a ton of prospects, and they are one of the cup favorites this year and probably for the next five years. Like the more I think about this, the more actually I don't even think there's a debate. This should be Joe Sackick's award this year. You you've been using the phrase wagon a lot, and I'm sure an appropriate way that's actually lives within you know common verbiage, but I cannot shake the definition in my head, which just means a fat ass. It could be both. <laughs> a caboose? A caboose. Yeah. Joe Sackick has built Colorado into a total big, fat, jiggling caboose. I don't know. Yeah, just wagon seems to be the word du jour on Twitter for the last couple of weeks. And I know du jour what, means What day, kind of Twitter are you on? I mean, a few different kinds. <laughs> <laughs> Bonk. Um, no, but, okay. So it's just like when I see words like that over and over again, it just kind of like gets embedded in my subconscious when I need to pull messaging. something. Yeah. It's very easy. Brad's brain is like a sponge. This is how I know advertising works, FanDuel. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook. Um, 
All right. The one where there's some debate and I don't, well, I get why, but ugh, anyways, the heart trophy MVP. There is no debate here. Anybody making a case for anybody else is wrong and overthinking it. Uh, Evan gets the first answer. Evan MVP. I mean, the guy on pace for like 160 points is probably the guy who should win it, right? Darren Helm. Uh, yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm teeing you up, man. Come on. No, this is – there's a stat or there's a bunch of like stats that people pull up in the NBA quite often where they're like, if the MVP was actually awarded to the best player in the NBA or you know, most valuable to the team or whatever metric you want to use, LeBron James should have won nearly every year of his career. And there has to be a lot of bending and twisting to give it to other people. And I just feel like it's the exact same situation and it will be the exact situation for Connor McDavid's entire career. And I don't think they could even manage it this year. He is just lights out. It's unfortunate for Toronto fans that Austin Matthews is having such a fantastic season and isn't going to be particularly close, I think, in the voting in the end, as long as the season stays as is. But yeah, it's Connor McDavid, right? Like it's just Connor McDavid. It's Connor. It's like a bunch of years ago when Drew Doughty won that Norris, even though Eric Carlson was far superior in just about every metric you wanted to look at. Um, because Eric Carlson had won two or three leading up to it, and people were just sick of Eric Carlson winning and Drew Doughty not having one. So they just gave it to Drew Doughty, and even writers admitting that. That's what's going to happen to Connor McDavid for the next 10 years of his career because. When you look at Connor McDavid is leading the scoring race by 10 points. The guy who's in second is a guy who has benefited from Connor McDavid, which is Leon Dreisaitl. So if you want to go to the next person in the scoring race that doesn't benefit from Connor McDavid, he's 18 points behind. They are not even in the same stratosphere. They're not on the same planet. They're not in the same solar system. Like Connor McDavid is so much better than every other hockey player on the planet in a good year. And this is a great year for him. I mean, you can argue about strength of team, uh, strength of division. I don't care. He's light years ahead of everybody else. If like, if you were Connor McDavid was four points ahead of Patrick Kane right now, you probably pick Patrick Kane because of what we all expected of Chicago and what he's working with in Chicago, but they're not close. McDavid is that much further ahead. And you could say, yeah, he's got Dreisaitl. Yeah, he doesn't have much beyond Dreisaitl, though. <laughs> it's it's kind of McDavid. A, this is like trying a, to give the friggin' MVP to Dale Howarchuk in the middle of the 80s. Like, don't. It's It was Gretzky then, it's McDavid now. It's kind of like a, it's a silly award because it's like most valuable to their team when it should really just be like, who is the best player in the league? Maybe have two uh, two different awards. It's because who's either. the most valuable to their team? I mean, it's still Connor McDavid, but year after year over year, that can change. Like, um, may, maybe not with Connor McDavid, but um, Connor McDavid is by far and away the best player in the league. And this year, he's absolutely the most valuable player to his team. The, like the thing that concerns me is legacies get ruined because of stupid voting like this, where people get bored of voting for the same guy. Imagine if the same thing happened to Lidstrom, where they're like, ah, uh, you know what? Social media is more of a thing now. People are going to give me more clicks if I put someone else in there. We don't talk about Lidstrom as the seven-time Norris Trophy. That air about it is gone because he was so much better than everybody else in his era 
it you need that stat just to cement it to people who didn't get to watch Nick Lidstrom play. The same thing should happen to Connor McDavid because he is so much better. So yeah, I mean, people already, already forget how dominant Eric Carlson was for six, seven years there because he only won two Norrises, even though he should have won four or five. Like, I just, I hate the need for a storyline when the answer is obvious. Well, that's what happens when you get writers to vote on it. They're, yeah, they write stories. I think, yeah. Nothing against writers or anything like that. It's just the players voted on it. I'm sure we'd see a lot more consistency in who they think is the best player in the league. Well, I mean, then you get Carey Price winning the Vesna still this year, probably. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think the, I think the voting system is flawed but not terminally flawed you know i just think there needs to be you're right evan there's a there's a a confluence between the the need to drum up the storyline and the obvious answer and Mm -hmm. or sorry and the people voting i should say anyways mid-season awards let's see how this progresses over the course of the year um we named a bunch of obvious picks and at least one of those is bound to to crumble and fall as the second half of the season plays out but for now uh let's jump into overtime to wrap up this episode uh this is where we take questions and comments from uh fans listeners supporters and uh hate watchers um and we're going to start with our lovely patreon supporters they're the reason this podcast can operate they're the reason uh why i have airtime to be brad that was the article you sent me i got a pop-up ad If your website autoplays videos, you are wrong and you should stop it. Uh, This is where they give me airtime to be mean to Brad and then uh, cry about it later when people are mean to me about it. Uh, So thank you to uh, the Patreon supporters. And we're going to start with Patron, whose name is and I'm Devin. says, evening, everyone. This one's for all three of you. Evan, get the unmute button ready. Who is your favorite rental player Detroit has acquired and which uh, who is a player you wish Detroit hadn't sold at the deadline? I wish Detroit never gave up that first round pick in the Kyle Quincy trade. That's the player. Damn it, Ryan. (laughs) My favorite. I don't know if it's a trade deadline, but I'll say Daniel Alfredson because I watched my friend's soul leave his body. (laughs) He was uh, was signed in the offseason. I'm taking it. I don't care. Like rental. So we're talking acquired at the deadline. Then we only got like a half season out of them. Do we have to pick a favorite? Because none of them were particularly good. Eric yeah. Cole, you know, he made a lasting impression on uh, on me. God, yeah, I'm really, really struggling to think of a, like a true rental the Red Wings had that was impactful. I'm going to expand it and say Marion Hosa counts. Yeah, oh, year that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's the obvious one then. But even was that- he though? Was he? He sealed our fate. <laughs> Um, Quaz says, Hey everyone, I got carrier qualified last Monday. Quaz flies jet planes. Uh, I can't describe it. It was so much fun. Finally watched a few recent game highlights. And is it me or is Rasmussen a bit faster out there? Looks like he belongs in, uh, at this point. Curious to see what you think. He, he's he been fine. He, he does look noticeably quicker. His, his vision and playmaking, uh, is, I'm not even going to say needs work. It's still absent is probably the better word. He he he's still missing very obvious plays on the regular. But the things he's good at, he's been good at and he hasn't had much luck around the net. Uh, that being said, the Red Wings power play doesn't generate a ton of shots, so kind of tough for him to do his thing in front of the net when few pucks are getting through, but 
he's better. I mean, I don't see a top six forward in his future at this point. Um, he's still very limited in his in his skills. So, but yeah, he, he's looking like he could be a good third, fourth liner with uh, with some power play specialties. Cody Stark says your hometown leaves. Hey, not quite hometown, just the region. Screwed me out of a $3,000 16 parlay on Friday night in Vegas, but I had a good time. Uh, uh, pro tip, never bet anything on the Leafs, and then you can just enjoy their suffering without any personal expense to yourself. Exactly. And if you want proof of that, ask any Leafs fan ever. They will tell you the exact same advice. Just same thing. Never bet on the Lions. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, third man in says there's often talk about trading UFAs at the deadline, then re-signing them in the offseason. Last year, we talked about it with Athens CU. This year, Ryan and Bernier. But can you think of any notable instances of this actually happening with the wings or elsewhere? It's way more uncommon than I think it, it is recognized. Like It's always brought up as a possibility, and I don't quite understand why. I think it's just romantic, but it's not quite there. The last time I remember this happening with any player of substance was, I believe, Keith Kachuk with the Blues. There's someone on Winnipeg that I, I just can't recall right now. It it happens from time to time, and like I, I get why. And it's usually like a, a hometown guy leaves for a cup run, or he gets sold as like a depth piece for a cup run, but then goes back. Um, and I get that, but it's not. You're never going to see it happen with like superstars and. It could have happened with Athens CU, but the team didn't, or Athens CU didn't. Usually when a player gets dealt, I'd say half the time there's some reasonable cause there from either the team's end or the player's end. You have to have both teams buying into that contract, so I don't know. I wouldn't put too much stock into it. It's more of a rarity. Uh, Jake Nagy says, as the unofficial number one fan of Most Cider, I loved reading the athletics piece. Uh, that was Max Boltman's piece. Definitely give it a read. Um, on how so many draft analysts missed the mark on how good he'd be. If CV is seeing him as a top pairing defenseman for the next decade, plus which 2021 D prospect would you think uh, would best complement his game? Best complement his game? Well, Owen Power and him are very similar players, so I don't think that's the right answer then. Uh... I'm going to go with Luke Hughes, more of that uh, dynamic, going to jump into the rush a bit more, not quite as defensively sound, but still good, but more offensively inclined. Uh, Both of them can skate like the wind, which I think would be phenomenal to watch. So yeah, I've come around on Luke Hughes throughout the season. So left shot, I think they'd they'd offset very well. Yeah, Hughes came to mind for me. Um, I'm wondering, I'm just trying to like think which who on the left side would really, really have that kind of like offensive flair. Brant Clark, <sighs> but he shoots right. Yeah, that's the problem. Like I was thinking of Clark, but I never really, I don't know. How would Simon Edvinson fit in is what I'm wondering. That would be a good one. He, he's yeah. a little riskier. Um, his game is not as polished, but lot of raw potential there okay slava kozlov's doppelganger says what do you think is the future of this team's goaltending uh whether a draft pick a disastrous disastrous signing like holtby or maybe a trade for a flight risk like spencer knight also ryan you're a lucky bastard getting to root for liverpool i'm stuck for the perpetual not living up to expectations spurs Ooh, sorry about that congrats on your win today though um 
patchwork until a Petrozelli or someone really establishes himself in the system. Yeah. You'll or- see it. You'll see a lot of the Bernier types coming through. Probably Bernier for a couple of years, if not Grace. And then, uh, yeah, whatever half-decent free agents available that will come for half-decent money. North Moto says, my F1 comments from last pod were meant for Ryan, not Brad. I'm new. That's no, okay. I think I was just messing with you. Uh, if you can bring back one player in Red Wings history in their prime to play in the 2021 Red Wings, who would it be and why? And that is Steve Eisenman. Yeah. Yeah, Stevie. Stevie's done it once before in this scenario. He'll do it again. <laughs> and he kind of is. Nick Lidstrom is also a good answer here. Gordy Howe is also a good answer here. Sergey Fedorov is also a good answer here. You can pick any one of them and be right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eisenman has the history of being in this Dominic situation. Hashik, yeah. Greatest goalie of all time in my mind, Dominic Hashik. Like, fuck. Yako Ruta says, I feel like I've seen enough Red Wings hockey for this year uh, that I don't have to watch the games. Yes, I know they've been better lately, but why bother watching when I can watch the highlights later and also listen to your views on the game uh, and check in on Wings for breakfast from time to time? Um, I don't know. I, I After having a season without hockey, I'm not going to take it for granted. Like every time there's a lockout or, you know, with the COVID shutdown, like I still find myself excited to watch red wings games even if i know it's going to be a snooze fest or there's a good chance but i understand that mentality uh ghost of podcast past says what's that one special food dish that you make like you don't need to look at a recipe you can improvise on the fly and when people hear that you're making it they get excited i'm apparently not allowed to answer with poutine uh we've been making shrimp scampi a lot lately and that's been a lot of fun and it's super simple and it's so good i am the opposite of a good cook um Unless I'm in front of a barbecue and the only thing that I do really well, even on the barbecue beyond just very good would be steak. I I've seemed to have perfected my top sirloin recipe. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go with that. It's simple, but like you got to do it perfectly. And I've, I've got that nailed. I can do lots of things. It all depends on what we're looking for. Steak. No problem. Ribs. No problem. Carbonara, easy peasy. You want to stir fry any day of the week. Carbonara is vastly underrated. Yeah, it, it is some work to do, but it's so worth it. Uh, Callan S says, I'm a little bit of a broken record about Danny DeKaiser, but it continues to amaze me how poor of a passer he is and how content he is to launch the puck without any regard for a target. With that in mind, would you rather have a D lineup of all DeKaisers or a forward lineup of all Helms? Well, the Helms easily. Perennial heart candidate, Darren Helm? Yes, absolutely. I Brad, mean, you cannot want the DeKaisers over the Helms. No, there's no way. You have to score a goal eventually. How many goals does Darren Helm have this season? Right, none. So I think uh, the Darren Helm is better on defense than Danny DeKaiser is at this point. There's my answer. Darren Helm's on defense. <laughs> Non-sarcastically, that's my answer. <laughs> Uh, Andrew Bohan says, hello, dub dub boys. What are the chances we see the Griffins near the Calder this year? Henderson are looking ridiculous. Why must Vegas get everything? We have more Griffins content coming up soon. So actually stay tuned for a more concerted update on them. Evans bingo card says going back to last episodes, talk about an Eichel trade. Who says no to this trade and why Detroit gets Eichel and Buffalo's second round pick Buffalo gets Mantha, Fabry, Master Simone, Grava, and the Red Wings first Buffalo says no easily. Yeah. There's not much impact players there beyond mantha and a first round pick right yeah first yeah. round this year 
Oh, and that makes it more interesting. I, I Buffalo would consider it, but ultimately I don't think they would do it unless they really, really, because again, let's remember, even if that's first overall, this isn't equivalent to last year's first <laughs> overall. So unless Buffalo's in love with a guy in this draft, I don't see them saying yes. Um, Obir Juan Kenobi says, is what the Sabres are going through as bad as what we went through last year? 6-19 and 4 has to track close to a 6-17 win season. And more positive news, one of my beer league, team, beer league teams has two games to get a point and clinch our chance to play for the championship. A year ago, we were in the same spot but didn't get to play it because of the shutdown, so it feels overdue. Knock on wood and cheers to get that dub, fellow dub-dub family. Oh, that would be nice. Um, what was the question again? Or is Buffalo this year as in bad as bad of a situation as Detroit last year? No, it's worse because they were hoping to make the playoffs this year. We knew last year would be bad. Not that bad, but we knew we were going to be a lottery contender. Buffalo literally signed Taylor Hall and traded for Eric Stahl because they expected to make the playoffs. The Caminator says yesterday was the first time I was in a restaurant for over a year. Went to a local brewery. With that in mind, what is your favorite type of beer? I prefer stouts. I'm really easy when it comes to beer. I don't like milk stouts or like chocolate milk, like those kinds of things, like super heavy beers like that. I love sours and I love a good like APA, like just a good something you can crush like six of and then not want to kill yourself the next day. Ryan, you and I are on the opposite end of the spectrum because I love Belgian Trappist beers. Oh, like like a meal and a eight percent minimum just unbelievable the best beers i've ever had in my life and that's why i'm also a huge thick caboose (laughs) you're just a wagon i'm a wagon now i don't mind i don't mind them but my problem is i want to have more than one and then when i have more than one it just hits me like see if i have more than one of any beers i feel like complete ass so you know one of those it's great Brad, take it away. I have no idea what the fuck a Belgian Trappist beer is. Uh, I generally like lagers and ambers, so and I I stay in that range primarily. I I'm, I'm like Ryan. I'm pretty easy. I there's stouts I like. There's stouts I hate. There's IPAs I like. There's IPAs I hate. But yeah, generally I'm in that happy middle. Uh, Sam W says it's that time of year we trade Berger and Johansson and conditional third for uh, to New Jersey or something for Kyle Palmieri for all of our pain and suffering the last few years it feels good to hopefully be on the other side of a trade like this Uh, if we're sellers in a scenario like this with other teams prospects coming back our way what do you think that will look like who are the most likely partners and what reasonable outcome do we want to happen here fun time to be a Wings fan thank you Winged Wheel podcast crew many thoughts and prayers for our man Bernier um we're gonna get yeah. a lot of third to fifth round picks this year <laughs> yeah unless we move mantha we're not getting much of substance there's there's hope for some second round picks with uh maybe bernier ryan and glenn denning not likely but not out of the realm of possibility i there are teams out there like the islanders hypothetically who have a need who could use guys like ryan and Glenn Denning. So maybe you package them to get something a, a little better. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think this is the home run year. It doesn't feel like it. Uh, next comments from a uh, nice little callback to last episode. Now addicted to black tar heroin says, thanks Ryan for the suggestion. Uh, also, <laughs>
how many times is Zadina going to change sticks and Brad, what one should he use? If we can. Uh... <laughs> that is my favorite. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Oh, my God. Um, you can tell Zadina's fighting it this year. So, obviously, when he's gripping the stick as tight as he is and nothing seems to be going in for him, even though he should be well above his totals. Yeah, stick's the easiest thing to um, change and, you know, play around with to see what works. Um, I think he's on a Nexus Geo now, which kind of fits what he does. The way he plays, I still think a flylight makes the most sense for him. Stiff blade for the one timers, um, low kick point because he's all about quick release. So to me, that this that stick makes the most sense. Geo does make a bit of sense, so it's not like he's way off base here. But yeah, he, he knows more about this than I do. So <laughs> uh, next comments from Toy Stretcher who says, "Good day, Dud Duds. We're gonna need a Patreon exclusive spinoff episode to talk about Drive to Survive season three. I'm not even kidding. I would happily do a podcast about Drive to Survive. I can love that show, and I, then- I mean, I still think or." Brad and Evan, you should both watch it. I won't, but you should do a Patreon exclusive about it if they want it. I watched yeah. the uh, the blockbuster uh, documentary that's on Netflix. It's really good. I liked it, and I watched the big, the biggie, the biggie one as well. It was really good. I'm not like oh. a, I'm not a big rap guy, but I found it very interesting. Is the last blockbuster on Netflix? Yes. Okay, I will be watching that then. Is there something weird about that that documentary being on Netflix? Very ironic. Like your murderer, to, like publishing the documentary about <laughs> your life. <laughs> so they actually, not to ruin the documentary, but they have the former CFO of Blockbuster on, and he de- debuff, um, de- debunked, debunk. Yeah, that's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Uh, he debunks that as not quite as true as what people thought. It's very oh. interesting. Uh, sorry to continue the comment here haven't finished yet but ricardo hasn't called netflix a naughty word and i feel like that means season two is more better what we need is an nhl netflix series to follow ufas around all season and interview gms and coaches who will be as candid as their f1 team principal counterparts don't need to focus on guys who are super likely to re-sign with their own team but imagine the stamco saga or the Tavares move in real time with commentary from gms wanting to meet their agents nhl viewership will double that is the best idea in the world man like what the NHL was so compelling when HBO had basically full reign to do the the road to the oh, uh, winter classic like it was so, so good. good and like I'm not sure what the disagreement is from the NHL and filmmakers in that perspective like they don't want to hear NHL players say naughty words or they just don't want to give access but man would that be such a good selling point especially um adding espn to as one of the television deals coming up like it wouldn't be it could be this is a perfect timing to do something like that there's also the running risk of mike babcock killing a cameraman that probably you know if we got through an hbo series with mike babcock i think we can do it yeah but remember that one scene where he kicked the cameras out of the room boy does that have a whole new context behind it huh i was i'm still scared from that scene yeah i thought i was being chased um (laughs) Since it's sneaking up to the trade deadline, hear me out on this one. Extend Bernie for a season, then immediately trade him to Buffalo so they are, in theory, better than the Wings. Who should get worse without Bernie next year when we need to increase our Shane Wright odds? Yeah, we need to be Shane Wright oriented. Jersey time. Jerseys with patches are a bit special. What was your favorite Red Wings non-cup final patch variant? Multiple patch jerseys allowed. Believe. 
The, oh, yeah, that's the answer, isn't it? It's the Vladdy patch and the Sergei Manatsukhanov yeah. patch. That There's no other answer. Like, as much as the Mr. I one was cool and the Gordy one was cool, man, the Red Wings were still cup contenders. The whole tragedy behind it in between their Stanley Cups, like, that's the one. Brad's anger manifested, says, going to the Wings game in Nashville this week, which jersey do I wear? Red Fedorov, White Eiserman, White Shanahan, or White Hashik? Go with the Fedorov jersey. I think you yeah, get Fedorov jersey. Why not? Uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, so now that Evan Powell Peralta Lobsinger has mastered the art of the Ollie, what are your non-hockey things that you grinded to master that made you the most stoked, stoked to succeed with? Oh, man. Is that question directed to me or you two? I, well, I I've already you. succeeded in mine. No more ankles. <laughs> I have no ankles left. Uh, quickly editing a, a podcast audio. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. He's this right. You're going to get bullied. Yeah. Because he said non-hockey thing. This is bumming me out because I got to go back to my teenage years. Oh, my God, you two. <laughs> oh, hey, I've perfected man, a lot of now. things. I've perfected a lot of things in the game of hockey <laughs> in my adult life. But, yeah, not much beyond that. I, I used to be really big into skateboarding and inline when I was a kid. And with my inlines, you guys will know the Kitchener, the bowl at the Kitchener Odd. I wanted to master a 540 heel grab coming out of that so bad. And it took me all summer and I finally got it in like October. <laughs> There's no amount of money I wouldn't pay to see a video of that. When I was like 16 or, or 15 or however old I was, it wasn't. That's wasn't even that better because he probably had a popcorn necklace on. Mm-hmm. A good chance, honestly. Um, but yeah, I ate shit all summer on that one. If I did that, if I tried to do that now, right? I would. Like my knees would literally blow up off my off my legs. <laughs> oh yeah, there's zero chance. Like just jumping out of the bowl now, I'm pretty sure I would die. I have no idea how I came in with that speed. Like, cause I had to land that backwards. Like, there's no way I don't lose all my teeth now the first time I attempt that. Um, Michael Barry asks, Where are the Red Wings gonna go on a Buffalo style losing streak now with Bernier out? <laughs> Maybe. No, it won't be that bad. Um, and then Hatrick Swayze says, Hey guys, random and short question here. What's the deal with goalies wearing the number one and has a skater ever used number one? Oh, that's a good question. I never looked into it, but now I'm actually curious. Uh, okay. I'll jump to Reddit here and then I'll try to look up the, the answer to that. Let's see if I can't find it quick enough. Cross crease passes. Do you think Eisman might prioritize acquiring prospects over draft picks due to the uncertainty of this particular crop of players? I hope he does the opposite. I think the uncertainty is going to create more diamonds in the rough in the second and third round. Truthfully, uh, teams are going to trade their prospects that they're not fully sold on. So it was like a year or two ago when everybody in the league was saying the Blues, uh, everybody should trade for Jordan Cairo in St. Louis and St. Louis wouldn't let him go. And now he's probably their leading. I think he's their leading scorer. So. Yeah, teams are generally more inclined to move draft picks, and I think they actually do hold some extra value in the mid-rounds this year. The answer is one skater ever wore the number one. That wasn't a goalie. That was Glenn Smith for two games with the Chicago Blackhawks in the 50s. He didn't really do much else with his career. So, all practicality, no. Uh, Southern Wing 97 says, hot take, expected goals for and against is just fancy plus minus. Why or why not? Well, 
there's different variations of expected goals for like individual is tracked mm-hmm. and not because an expected goal for you could be the guy on the far side of the ice when that scoring chance happens and you are, you're still completely out of the play. So it's not the craziest statement I've ever heard. Maybe <laughs> mythic for Caulfield who says no trade method literally anywhere for anything just because tired of fan base dumping on him yeah anyways uh okay we're gonna wrap up this week's episode of the wind wheel podcast or sorry this uh sunday episode of the wind wheel podcast we are gonna be back with you on wednesday uh thank you all for tuning in and uh listening to the mayhem we want to uh give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the podcast which is the FanDuel sportsbook download the app use promo code wwp uh, all of our listeners are name level sponsors uh, on patreon arjun shanker Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Arjun Shanker, Brandon M., by Felicia, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hanali, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, uh, Jeremiah Dobo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, um, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, Oral Roberts, uh, sorry, I'm loading the full name here. Oral, Oral Roberts Fan Club, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minama, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, State, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company, Trevor Pepevar, your favorite high patron. Thank you all so much. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.